Hello, and welcome back to Empires of the Future. I'm sitting here with Jackson. We're about to kick back into our our book study. Uh, we were just talking about uh, our numbers. I don't know if you're supposed to talk about numbers on the on the podcast, but uh, definitely seems like people are less interested when we talk books. Well, that does that is true. Yeah, but that's okay. We love talking about it. Like I said, uh, so we're going to do it anyway. And you guys can either stick with us or not. But well, we're almost done. So if you've made it this far, then oh, it's yeah, home stretch. We anticipate uh, this to be the second to last mere Christianity. Yeah, podcast. Yeah, so that's good. I'll miss reading the book again, but uh, happy to move on to something else. But in the meantime, how you been, Jackson? Doing very well. Uh, we were just talking about got a new uh, chicken option, and I uh, ate that mm. for lunch. So my belly's feeling pretty full. Whenever I eat a, a big old chicken breast, it's like a good feeling, a good full feeling, not over full. Usually, yeah, but just about where I want to be. Nice. nice. Yeah. What'd you eat for lunch? I had a nice big Cobb salad. Oh, good. It was like well, it's like a Cobb and avocado salad, I think. Okay. Uh, it was a great time. I actually had a, a kind of a lunch uh, planned thing with some coworkers from FC Tucker, um, some other agents, and, and our manager, and so good. it was a good time. Went over to Bar Louie, and and uh, I had a salad. Most people got burgers. They've got some really good burgers over yeah. there at Bar Louie, but uh, and. To top it all off, my manager covered everything. So even better. Yeah, it is better. It's funny because I'm like, oh man, thank you so much for for covering this, and she's like, oh, the company covered it, <laughs> not right. me. And I'm like, well, thank you, company. Thank you, company. <laughs> Thanks, you, FC Tucker, and thank you, and, representative of the company. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it was a great lunch, and it's always better when it's free. That's right. Love it. Love it. So, well, very cool. Well, we're gonna look at uh, chapter seven of uh, book three. Are we in book three or four? Four. Four. Man, I can't even keep track of where we're at. Chapter 7 of Book 4, uh, as C.S. Lewis is, is making our way through mere Christianity here. and uh, I, I think these three chapters were really good, and he does begin to, and he kind of sets says this essentially, begins to kind of lay down practical steps to add to or, or, or to, to take now that we he has laid out for us theology. Uh, there's still a lot of theology in here. In fact, um, he, he in this chapter, it's called Let's Pretend, Chapter mm-hmm. 7 is. Uh, and in this chapter, he kind of is talking a lot about, and he's going to continue talking a lot about, what we would call regeneration or yeah. new birth, yeah, uh, becoming uh, the new man, as the Bible describes it. Um, and so, really, it is very practical, um, very helpful insight and wisdom, but it also is theological, even though he's he's kind of stating, yeah, we're taking theology and we're taking some practical next steps. It also is theological in nature. Um, but the story he, or excuse me, the, the concept he's getting at here when he, he titles it, Let's Pretend, that sounds funny at first. I think for most of us, we think of pretending. We think of posers, yep. right? We think of people who are fake, uh, whatever. But as C.S. Lewis kind of explains it, there is a very real sense in before something becomes real for someone, it has to be faked. It has to be pretended uh, in right. a sense in order for it to become real. Right. Uh, he uses a couple of illustrations, which are, I don't know, you can take them for whatever they're worth, but uh, one is the story of Beauty and the Beast, um, where the the beautiful girl kisses the the beast, right, and hopes that he will turn into a man, and indeed he does right. turn into a man. Uh, you don't normally go around kissing beasts, right? Uh, right. But uh, she did, and in a sense, pretended, uh, and lo and behold, thankfully, the beast turned into a man. Right. right. And the seems like the heart of that story is this idea that um, your love can change someone. Uh, love itself can change someone, and which has spawned uh, various good ideas in this chapter, but also bad ideas that we talk to. Uh, for instance, having been in youth ministry a long time, you talk to a lot of young girls about how, listen, don't get with a guy thinking you're going to change him. It's not a sure thing at all, mm-hmm. but that's what's really interesting about book four, I think, in general, is he deals with a lot of um, impulses, mm-hmm. kind of senses that we have, and he says, here's what you can do with that sense. Here's probably where uh, where where that sense is leading somewhere good and where it's true, and here's where that sense could lead you in a false direction. And um, I know uh, people who are super into Disney movies. I'm sort of middle of the road on them. Um, and people who so far are so far in, because Disney movies, it's strange. We think of Disney movies as sort of 
um, stories that uh, Walt Disney came up with, and no, most of <laughs> most of them are stories he co-opted, and uh, the ca- the company has since co-opted. They were already out there, and frankly, having recently read the Ice Queen, a much more interesting story and a much more Christian story uh, than uh, Frozen, for instance, or any uh, maybe cartoon versions you might see of the Ice Queen. Are you telling me that Frozen is not an original Disney idea? That's what I'm telling you. I, I had no idea. I knew, I know a lot of them are, um, including ones like Beauty and the Beast, Jungle Book, and and a bunch of others. Or adaptations just, of already existing stories, you yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So like Jungle Book was a book written by Rudyard Kipling. Rudyard right? Kipling, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so were so many other of the stories. Fascinating. Yeah. Man, I, what about... Oh, I'm curious now. I'm about to go down this rabbit trail. Because you're like, a bigger Disney guy than me in general. I am. Yeah. I am. Uh, I know they've done a lot of like, uh, what do they call it? Grimm Brothers yeah. sort of movies. They are books that they've turned into movies, mm-hmm. stories that they've taken and uh, uh, <laughs> kind of like polished up a little bit, made yeah, a little bit sure. more palatable. Um, but yeah, they, yeah. What, what was the point there? I, I missed my point. So uh, we're talking about Beauty and the Beast Beauty and, and the, Beast. the usefulness yeah. of of these stories. Yeah. Now, what um, there are people I know who, I mean, really have dug into the origin of all of these, they're myths. I mean, they're ancient mm-hmm. stories that get at the heart. Like, it usually have a really deep meaning to them. And a lot of what we're more familiar with is sort of a sanitized, Americanized version of, say, yeah. The Little Mermaid, for instance. And it is really interesting to get into where these stories came from uh, and what they're what they were originally after, uh, rather than being just a commercial product, which is a lot of what we experience of them. Uh, and so in that regard, I think this analogy is a great place to start Beauty and the Beast as an analogy, um, but then it obviously moves on there. I, I'm less familiar with this story about um, the man in the iron mask, right? Yeah. Did he call it an iron mask? I don't remember being called I, iron. I think that's the original story that he's referring is to. Is a, Well, I've never, I've never read that book or... or <laughs> Seeing that story, I think right. movies have been made, yes. but but the premise that he explains it, you know, the guy who's rather um, not pleasant to look at, not pleasant looking, uh, takes this mask and, and molds it into what he wished he looked like uh, and put the mask on. And it, the mask itself was a, a sense a charade, right? It was a it was a pretend. It was an act. It wasn't who he was, which is why he put the mask on. But then uh, as the story concludes, he takes the mask off and his face has molded into what the mask was so that no right. sort of the, the charade or the act has become a reality for him. Right. Um, and you know, all of these, we can try to kind of go down the rabbit hole of well, what the story actually intended or this or that. But the point he's getting at is a real world analogy, very practical one. And that is that in many cases, in order for something to become real, it has to be pretended. And that if you strive towards something, a part of what it means to strive towards it is to pretend, is right. to uh, emulate it so that it will become the reality. Sort of take the mold, put it on, press yourself into it, uh, and eventually it will become reality. Right, and and we can make a much easier example of this. I myself got us off in the weeds. Um, but look, I mean, you have a brother who's now a firefighter. Yeah. How they train people to do that, and along with many other things, is they you show up, they check you out. They say, all right, we're going to make you a firefighter. And then they put the gear on you, and they they make you look like a firefighter. And the strange thing is, is that putting on the gear helps you to do what firefighters do. Even you didn't realize what it would be like without having all of that on. And then to the average onlooker, you look just like the other firefighters. And again, in, in that action, you begin to think of yourself as a firefighter. Right. And he's using this as a huge analogy to say, how is it that we change? How is it that we move from being this kind of person to this next kind of person? Um, and, and that's, which is a great question. And one that um, is kind of one of those deep, well, uh, there's parts of that we can certainly go, I think this is how it happens. And there's parts of it that are a deep mystery, how we do change, mm-hmm. um, especially for the better, especially how positive change might happen. Mm-hmm. And so pretending in this positive sense, and he talks about that there's, a, 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 pretending is not always positive. Right. Uh, you can pretend right. to be somebody's friend in order to take money from them or something. Right. Uh, but in this sense of uh, pretending, 
they, we do this all the time. Yeah. Uh, we act like something, and then sooner or later, you almost forget you were acting, and you are that, yep. especially in terms of uh, skills and jobs and, uh, and beyond. 100%. And this is the case, very practically, in many jobs and in the workforce. In fact, there's a phrase that I, I know of primarily from um, context in like nursing situations, where you would hear nurses say, especially coming fresh out of college, they say, fake it till you That's make right. it, right? Uh, the idea being, you come out knowing very little, even after going through college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what? You come in and and do it like you know what you're doing, right. and do it like you you understand it. Uh, in a sense, the, the word fake it, you know, pretend. Yeah. But eventually, it will no longer be pretend. Uh, and I think this is also true in any situation where you're dealing with people, where you're dealing with whether it be customer service or sales, relations, these kinds of things. There are many people who are great in that area who aren't natural people pleasers or aren't natural uh, extroverts or whatever yeah. Yeah. when they first come into the field. But you learn very quickly. It's not, you know, especially initially, it's not whether or not I truly just am great at this or truly I do truly just relish the opportunity to talk with you. Right. That's not the point. The point is I'm going to put on a mask as though I do. I'm going to, whether I feel like it or not, be as excited to engage with you and as friendly as I can and as helpful as I can, even if that's not my desire, if you will, even if that's not uh, truly what's going on in my heart, I put that forward. Uh, and eventually that becomes you in a sense. Right. Um, he, he uses another sort of like, uh, real world example. He said, when you're not feeling particularly friendly, but you know you ought to be, the best thing you can do very often is to put on a friendly manner and behave as if you were a nicer person than you actually are. And in a few minutes, as we all have noticed, you will be really feeling friendlier than you were. Very often, the only way to get a quality in reality is to start behaving as if you already had it. Yes, and that is what a deep insight that that I had never thought about before reading this book and that has been so helpful uh, to know these things then you can kind of develop yourself this way Mm -hmm. Uh, stop asking yourself these questions like well what do I do if I don't love my neighbor look love a is not some commitment to feeling a certain way it just isn't Mm -hmm. act as if you love your neighbor and it's the strangest thing. Sooner or later, you will come to love them. And in the meantime, just do the actions and don't even be concerned about these feelings. We're so, and this is a part of our problem with being so concerned with quote unquote authenticity. Right. What does that even mean at the end of the day? Uh, right. What we are after is bigger than some weird question of like, oh, I, my feelings about the, in this matter, what. I, 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 am I being inauthentic to my neighbor if I don't act nice? It's like, look, if you didn't eat this morning and if three things didn't go your way, if your kids were, you know, they broke some of your stuff already, you're probably not going to feel super charitable. Yeah. That, what does that matter for your dealings with your neighbor in this morning? Right. Uh, that's, and that's exactly where these questions come in as far as the point right. of this chapter to say, look, stop being so concerned about all these questions of your inner feelings. Mm-hmm. Do the things that you know you ought to do and watch as you are changed. And thankfully, even what he says is watch as you're just less concerned about yourself in general. Yeah. Be more concerned with what's happening in the outside world. It's good for you. Yeah. One of the points he's kind of making here, um, it's maybe not the point he's driving towards ultimately, but it is true, is that we do have a certain amount of of control or or willpower that we can exercise over our emotions. Mm-hmm. We oftentimes don't think we do. We sure. act as though our emotions are entirely out of our control. Uh, but to a certain degree, they're not. In fact, and I, was, I took a sports psychology class in college uh, as like an elective. Um, and in our sports psychology class, we, for like one day, he, he talked about uh, psychology of happiness. Yeah. And he basically said, I work this in just because I think people need to know this. And yeah. whatever field you go in, whatever job you work, whatever life that you go on to after this, this is helpful for you. And one of the points that he, that was made in this section on a psychology of happiness was that, you know, and this is psychology, right? I'm not, I'm not expounding some sort of biblical text here when I say this, but, uh, the, the studies, the research indicates 
that a person's happiness is more than any other factor dependent upon their own actions. Yeah. On their choice. That you can actually, in a very real way, choose to be happy mm-hmm. or choose not to be. Mm-hmm. And we don't oftentimes like to think of this because it's easier, frankly, to let our emotions just be tossed to and fro by our circumstances in life. And because of the world we live in, very oftentimes that's going to lead us to a lack of joy, lack of happiness, right? Yeah. Because of our circumstances and emotions. The argument for for a sense of joy and happiness to be found in life um Again, I'm speaking in very kind of surface level things where we get into the joy that comes from knowing Christ, right? And, and I'm kind of not talking about that initially here. That's not my point. Uh, but if, if you are in Christ, then it is a real thing to say that your happiness, you can have a large effect on. Yeah. That doesn't mean you'll always be happy. That right. doesn't mean you that know. Look, yeah, your grandma like, died today. It's gonna be a bad oh, day. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's gonna, right. And and there's and there there's no hey buck up. I mean no, that's right. that, that's um. But at the same time, I mean, I, I, to me, what I'm thinking of when you when you refer to this is, um. You've been through uh, hard times in your life. A lot of times, what makes you happy is if you are able to think in this day. Well, I may be scrubbing floors today, but it's nothing like when I didn't even get it, uh, anything but a paper towel to scrub floors when I worked for this one place. A part of that is dependent on your worst case scenario, mm-hmm. but then the other part is dependent. I mean, happiness is this small feeling of I'm getting somewhere. Things are a little better than they were. I have a plan. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of things uh, that are just more basic than I think we want to admit because uh, happiness is more basic than we want to admit. That's why we talk about there is a real difference between happiness and joy. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, circumstances affect it, but you are not powerless against your circumstances. And you say, you don't know my circumstances. I am tying in the fact that you can know God Almighty who can help you to say to your circumstances, those don't have to determine the course of my life. He can give you resources beyond your imagination. And that's, that's just true. There are people living in very bad circumstances today. I know that. But the promises that we have for all those people outweigh. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my mind right now, I am hearing for I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us in Christ. This is, mm-hmm. this is a biblical word for us to go, look, this is God Almighty saying, I, your circumstances are not inconsequential to me. Right. But I want you to know that what's coming is better. And even that alone at the depth of your heart can say, don't, don't think that your circumstances determine everything for you. And don't think that this is the end, that these horrible circumstances that you might find yourself in are the only thing that you'll ever be uh, involved in or only thing that will ever uh, kind of consume you. If you feel consumed by your circumstances, there's a God bigger than those circumstances. That's right. That's right. And so, yeah, I mean, there's... Plenty more we could say about that, but um, I, I would just want to say, to, to be clear, we're not saying if you just lost a family member, strap on a smile and go about acting like nothing happened. That's not that's not at all what we're saying. Uh, but if you are one of those people who just tends uh, for seemingly uh, the smallest of reasons or even sometimes no reason at all to struggle with being happy, yeah. um, start by putting a smile on. Yeah. Start by acting happier. And oftentimes you'll find that you do feel happier. <laughs> and even, I, I, I think that's true. Um, the prescription is uh, the Beatitudes where Jesus said, look, blessed are those who mourn. If you feel like mourning today, then mourn. Mm-hmm. And that's good. It is, it is actually good. Against our strange culture that says, oh gosh, if you're sad, there must be something wrong with you. Look, it's a sad world. Sometimes you need to cry. This is why I do sometimes say to people, um, you need to know some sad songs. It's good for you to sing sad songs. And if you have to go to country music, which is one of the few locations you can find sad songs, there need to be more songs in Christian music. I'll say that right now. Yeah. We are afraid of lament because um, we don't get it. Yeah, We don't get it. We don't get how your heart, um, the poets give us 
these words so that our heart can say the things it doesn't know how to say. That's the entire purpose of art is because stuff needs to come out of your heart and your community can provide it. And then you need to say it and you need to let other people in your life know about your sadness too. That the Beatitudes are actually a very confusing. They're, they're, they're kind of a high point in the entirety of scripture because uh, Jesus has taken us into some deep waters there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this all this this issue we're talking about here all comes under this same uh, umbrella of uh, there is a way forward for you in your life. Uh, it's just the prescription is not nece- may not necessarily be what you thought it was. Yeah. Just as frankly, this is a, this is a super surprising of all the chapters in this book. This chapter was particularly surprising to me because I didn't see it. I didn't see that this is how change happens for us. Yeah, um, and it's wonderful to see it because then it's like I mean this this can provide you whatever your goals are personally, whatever goals you have for yourself. This chapter can help you because if you have exercise goals, do what people do who exercise. If you have reading goals, if you want to better yourself in that way, find out what readers do. Mm-hmm. Ask questions about that. And begin to pretend to be a reader. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, this is a uh, humanity-wide prescription here. This is how it happens. This is where the wisdom that we are given in the scriptures comes down to basic life functionality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so powerful because basically when you look at these self-help books, you're playing with um, some person's ideas about how all of this works. And you're, you'd have to drill down. Often they don't even tell you if they're getting their ideas from whoever. You know, Carl Jung, Sigmund Freud, uh, Dr. Phil. I mean, who knows? Um, but it's all dependent on, you know, wisdom and what whatever's been passed down. But it mixed in a lot of that wisdom is falsehood and lies. And when you go to the scriptures, that's what we love about the scriptures. You're not dealing with a mixture of truth and falsehood. Yeah. You're dealing with truth, and so then to all of us who have gone, well, but yeah, there's things I want to do that I don't know the scripture exactly tells me. Well, that's where wisdom falls in, and so you develop wisdom through the scriptures plus people like C.S. Lewis who have thought about these things to a degree and then says, let me give you a little bit of advice about how I've seen this working. Yeah, so I want to go back to something you said and just sort of ask a question. Uh, You mentioned like having sad songs, being able to express sadness. What... Uh, what are some Christian, if possible, but if you can't think of any or, or have other recommendations, um, then I'll hear those. But what are some sad songs that you can think of that you think are good expressions of that? Oh, I'm going to have to start outside of Christianity um, just because, uh, frankly, the last sad song I sang, which was yesterday morning, just a weird morning where I was up early and so were my kids. And so I got the guitar and I just started playing songs and I got my book of country music out. And um, George Jones, He Stopped Loving Her Today, which is unbelievably sad song. Uh, but on, I just encourage anyone, listen to a sad song and, and ask after it's over, was your heart encouraged by it? It's a very strange experience. It really is. But we all, the world is sad. Stuff happens every day that's just heartbreaking. People die. People come up with cancer. Um, you lose friends. Uh, there, there's just various, like what I would call in terms of the kingdom and the mission, which is how I try to measure everything. Uh, in terms of the kingdom of the mission, there's losses every day. There's just like that person there, for whatever reason, I've heard that they're not going to follow Christ in this area. That's just a loss. I mean, it's just like, I don't know why. I wish they were. Uh, going to follow Christ in, in that way or in general. Um, and songs of lament are, are so helpful for us. And so you have that one there. Um, the, the lamentations themselves. Uh, yeah. uh, so then you could think of Shane and Shane uh, have done better than most Christian artists. Um, now, Shane and Shane, one of the projects, they've been about a worship project for like 20 years. And that means trying to put almost every psalm to music. Uh, are, are they still a thing? Just chain a chain? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, cool. Um, and, and I mean, that's just... When you are trying to put all of the psalms to music, you're going to run into sad psalms. Yeah. Which is, you know, great. Lots of them, in fact. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I would... Um, what's fi- Man, there's so much I want to say right now, and we're, we're off topic, but I'm going to say it anyway. The, uh, a part of what it... Why you can listen to a sad song, and yet in a sense, be sort of, you know, encouraged by it Mm -hmm. is because at the root of what typically those sad songs are about is something good. 
You know, right. th- think about, uh, you're a Nickel Creek guy. You know the song The Lighthouse? Yeah. Yeah, So or Lighthouse Tale, I think is what it's called. Um, and it's it's sung from the perspective of this lighthouse. And uh, and he watches um, uh, both his keeper and uh, and his wife die. And I don't want to spoil the, the <laughs> song. It's a spoil great song. 25-year-old song? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I, I only heard it when you introduced me to Nickel Creek a few years ago. Um, but it's a really sad song. It's a really sad song. Yep. But yet it can it can be a, uh, in a sense, it can be a, a song that also kind of, I don't know, gives you, encourages you, yeah. What, yeah, strengthens your heart in certain ways because the the sadness is rooted in the strength and beauty and bond of love. Yep. You know, and so like even sadness in that song, though that it is a sad song, it's sad because of something beautiful that has been, mm-hmm. um, that has been lost. Yeah. Right. And so. It's the it's the beauty of what is lost that makes yeah. the song so sad, you know. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've never heard the song you mentioned um, oh, about goodness, he stopped loving You've her. got George Jones, yeah. uh, one of the greatest voices in the history of country music, yeah. and the song. So when you, I, I will be surprised if you hadn't heard. Now, for me, that song. What's interesting is uh, when I was a kid, I can remember my mamma picking me up from elementary school, and often that song would be playing. And uh, my grandmother loved uh, George Jones. She she was often listening to sad songs. I mean, it's mm. something to think back. And, and, you know, I know enough about her life to know she had some heartache. And um, one of the strange things I can say about, about uh, what I think is happening to us when we listen to sad songs is that something about sadness seems to tell us that we're alone. Yeah. And that when you listen to a song, you kind of go, well, I guess I'm not alone. Somebody else has yeah. ex- at least experienced this. Look at this thing that they that came out of their loneliness. Yeah. Um, and that's wonderful. I mean, it is, it is immediately, it is like a, an assault on your feelings that you're alone. Cause you're not, I mean, if somebody else went through this and wrote this out of it, what you said is also true that what if there's beauty to be had from this? Yeah. And that's a wonderful thought. Right. Like, what a wonderful thought. Right. The only, the only, in, in the thing I would add to that though, is that when we think about as Christians, mm-hmm. um, we don't stay in a place of sorrow, of lament, of, yeah of sadness, but even the psalmists, though there's plenty of sad psalms, yeah. all of those sad psalms, they, to a certain point, eventually they come back to where it is that joy is found. And though it, there can be a whole psalm that's, Lord, my enemies are all around me. Mm-hmm. They are succeeding while I am being destroyed. Um, it, it honestly, Lord, seems like you just are... You despise me. You've forgotten me. Uh, but in the end, where does the psalmist turn? Typically, back to the Lord, yep. back to the source of, of joy, back to even though it seems like the Lord has forgotten us, we know he hasn't, you know. And so for Christians, I, I do think there's an important thing to say that we don't just stay in a place of sadness. I don't think the Lord has called us to that. I don't think he's called us to a place of, of living in sorrow or yep. lamentations. But even in the book of lamentations, dead sinner smack in the middle of the book there's a bright spot of hope and joy that is to be found, even in the midst mm. of it. And so for Christians, we, we have that, and we, we come back to Christ, who is our source of hope. And, and we don't mourn like those who don't have hope. That's you know, we, exactly we mourn differently, right. even when we are weeping. It is of a different character, because yep. we mourn with hope, uh, right. which is different. So a couple songs I would point out. There's, there's a, it's actually a pretty old hymn, I think. Uh, called Oh Sacred Head Now Wounded. Mm-hmm. It's a sad song, but it's a great worship song. We sing it in our worship service to remind ourselves As do we. of our sin. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good reminder of your sin and what it costs. Uh, and in the song it says, um, you bled by our hands, mm-hmm. speaking of Christ. Um, and it, it, I don't know, it's a good reminder of that. Anyway, um, another one is um, Psalm... Oy. Uh, what is the psalm that says, why are you downcast on my soul? Is that 42? Don't know. Pretty sure it's 42. Psalm 42. Uh, but it says, uh, it's, it's the psalm that also says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Yeah. And it, it asks the question, the psalmist is asking the question, why are you downcast on my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Um, and it even, it even looks back and says, I can remember when you showed your grace to me, thinking mm-hmm. about, about the Lord and how he's shown us his grace. Yeah. Um, but anyway, there, there are great yeah. songs of lament, and we can move on now, but uh, I think it's worth at least acknowledging some of those songs, and if any listeners want to go check them out, I would recommend it. Yeah. Let me say a couple other things about this chapter as we get ready to move on. Um, there are changes that occur when you pretend uh, to know 
Christ and to 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 walk like him. And he, he says this in, in the book here. Uh, one, you notice and begin to be concerned not just about what you do, but about what you are. And mm-hmm. his quote is this, quote, apparently the rats of resentment and vindictiveness mm-hmm. are always there in the cellar of my soul. Mm-hmm. He talks in another part about how... Um, <sighs> At a certain point, we see that we are a bundle of self-centered fears, hopes, greeds, jealousies, and self-conceit, all doomed to death. That the first time that you actually have the guts to look at, what is it that I, my heart is about every day? Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. It's very hard to be honest about the state that we're in spiritually. But when you... I mean, it, it is a grace. It's a strange sort of grace to be able to look at yourself and go, my goodness, why? How could I have thought for so many years that I am one of the good ones <laughs> when this is what my heart is like? Yeah. Um, but then uh, the second thing that he says in this section is that it feels as if it were we who did everything, but in reality is God who does everything that we mm-hmm. at most allow it to be done to us. God even pretends treating us like a son and all the while we become one. This is even the a part of the depth of this chapter is he says, God himself says to us who begin as just 99% rebel against him. And yeah. that one little foothold in us when we say i don't even know what i'm saying but yes jesus please help me and he says oh yes i i can work on somebody like you um and then he begins to work on us and for a while if we we talk as if oh i'm pushing and i'm working so hard but to get a an actual sense of what does happen Mm -hmm. um i do think uh one strange thing i can say about this whole sense here is um if you are very conflicted Christian, if you are, if you are a Christian who, who feels day by day, like, man, I, my heart, I, some days I really, I'm, I'm following the Lord, I'm serving, I'm faithful. And, and I, and I think I see what that is that he wants. But then some days I'm like rebellion. I don't like his ways. I'm rude to people. I'm doing this and that. Well, then your heart's somewhere around 50%. I think that, that you are in a state of spiritual warfare. And I say to you, push on mm-hmm. because that. Uh, the life that God is giving you will grow stronger, but uh, I mean, it reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says: like, hey, don't act like something strange is happening to you. I mean, what what's happening here is God is giving you life, and that old man is saying, I don't want that. I'd rather you just keep control and try to push people around and get your own way. What if they? What if they're all using us? And what if? What if they'll? Uh, how could you follow Jesus? They they will they will manipulate you. They'll they'll just use you up and all these things that our broken heart tells us how can you trust them yeah what if this is all a lie keep pushing on there's a there's light on the other side of that but that is a definite um major section of christian what christian maturity looks like all of a sudden you'll find yourself very very conflicted yeah that's exactly right and and one of the quotes you mean you uh, excuse me one of the quotes you brought up a second ago about rats living yeah. in the cellar. Yeah. Uh, the the context in which he's using that quote, he talks about when you when you come to the end of the day and you, you're you know saying your prayers and and you look back on the day as he, as he said you know as I often do and and you see the places in which that you fell short, places in which the old man, if you will, um, reared his head, uh, seemed to co- sort of take control in a sense uh, when. Uh, Gollum was exercising more control than Smeagol, to, to use an analogy yeah, we've used yeah, before. Yeah. Um, but he, he notes in many of those cases, uh, when you when you snap or you sneer or or whatever the case might be, oftentimes when you find that 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 sin, those sinful habits burst out, it's at a time whenever you're sort of caught off guard, or it's a reactionary thing. Yep. 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 And sometimes we want to use that as an excuse. Well, that was just reactionary to whatever they did or this or that. And in a sense, I mean, you can try and take some solace in that, I guess. It it certainly would probably be worse if it were premeditated. You know, you planned on being rude or or snapping at someone or whatever. But in a very real sense also, in those moments, we see our true natural selves coming out. We can't can't fake that, right? Right. Uh, I will read a quote. He says, on the other hand, surely what a man does when he's taken off guard is the best evidence of what sort of man he is. Mm-hmm. Surely what pops out 
before the man has had time to put on a disguise is the truth. And then he, he uses the example of rats in a cellar. He said, you never know what rats are in the cellar or how many or that there are rats in the cellar. Uh, if you give them plenty of time yeah. uh, to right. run and hide. Right. If you come in stomping and screaming and turn on the light early and, and then you go down to the cellar and look around, you're probably not going to find any rats. Mm-hmm. But if you sneak in and all of a sudden turn the lights on, right. you're going to see the rats. You're going to get a better picture of what is actually going on in that, mm-hmm. in that cellar. Uh, same thing with the human heart. Oftentimes it's in those moments uh, when you kind of see what is actually true about you. I've thought about this on like the basketball court. I know this is a terrible thing to say and people might get offended at this, but I think a lot of times uh, for men, kind of our, our true self sort of comes out on the basketball court. Cause I know guys that are in person, so nice, so kind um, and all these kinds of things, but they turn into complete jerks <laughs> on the basketball court. Whenever yep. they get fouled and they yell at the referee and, yep. and you know, all these kinds of things. It, and some people think it's as though on the basketball court, that's allowed. And pe- yeah. some people will say it. They're like, oh, they're just leaving it all out there. Oh, it's sure, just yeah, yeah. It's just passion for the game, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, that's a sinful heart yeah. uh, that is being exposed here in these in the heat of the moment. This makes me think of driving. Uh, Classic example. The, these uh, certain circumstances kind of pull different parts of us to the surface. And, yeah. 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 But uh, and then the point you get to, it's exactly important. Um, and that is after the first few steps of the Christian life, he says, we realize everything which really needs to be done in our souls can be done only by God. And that brings us to something which has been very misleading in my language up until now. And I'm glad he says this because I will be honest up in, the, in this chapter up until this point. I'm like, man, he's talking an awful lot about doing yeah, what sure. we need to do, what we mm-hmm. have to do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're losing the gospel somewhere. But. As he acknowledged, uh, maybe I've been a little misleading thus far. Let me get to this point. Mm-hmm. All that needs to be done in our soul is done by God, and only he can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, and it's, this is what we talked about a little bit last week, the, the tension that we sometimes hold between man's responsibility and God's yeah. sovereignty. Um, and we, we can talk about that. But it is a very real thing that, humanly speaking, from a human perspective, we ought to be doing what he is saying here. We ought to be seeking to act like Christ. Uh, we ought to be seeking to, in a sense, pretend to be what he has called us to be and is making us into, even though we know we're not there yet. We pretend, and eventually we will be there. Mm-hmm. That's from our perspective, from a human perspective. But we also recognize and realize that there is very little that we can do to actually change our hearts, to change the human condition. Mm-hmm. That can only be done supernaturally by the Lord. Right. Um and he begins to sort of lean into that now. That, as you said, we we start as rebels, and I forget exactly how you said it, but um, I would I would say we start as utter and complete rebels to the Lord. the The desire to repent and to turn to Christ and come to Him, even that is worked in us by the Holy Spirit. Like even that is not just a hint of good that we already happen to have that we clung to in order to trust in Christ. Even that is a product of his working in us. And so, C.S. Lewis, thank you for getting to this point of saying, hey, all that is necessary for us to, as Christ said, be perfect, as I am perfect, that is done, is worked in us by the Lord. He does all that. And so, and he leans into that further in the next chapter. Um, right, and so to eight. any who felt, as, as I have, and I think based on what we've talked about, that you might feel, even in your life in general, differently about this, but if anybody has felt like I have often felt, which is the Lord feels far away, people talk about this God thing, especially the first probably 10, 15 years of my uh, Christian walk, but God feels so distant, but God feels so distant. What we're talking about here, you know, if the scriptures say, as they do, that the Holy Spirit convicts the whole world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, what you are sensing in your heart when you sense this Hey, that sin, you should let it go. Why don't you why don't you walk in a newness of life? Why don't you why don't you live for something different than that? That is the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart saying to you, There is life available for you. Mm-hmm. Receive it mm-hmm. and stop stop trusting in your sins. That is that is that is our contention. Mm-hmm. That that what you are sensing, you have a conscience, but that's not your conscience. Your conscience is the part of you that's made alive. By God, but beyond that is this call to life 
And that is the work of the Holy Spirit saying to you, walk in that life. What you know, you know, this is death in you. You know that's going to lead to nothing but heartache and broken, brokenness, broken relationships, shame, uh, guilt. Uh, that, is, that is the work that's happening there. And I think this is a great segue because really while we've, we're not officially in chapter 8 yet, chapter 8 is called, Is Christianity Hard or Easy? And we've been, this is another angle on this very same question. Uh, well, it's both is the thing to say immediately about right. this. And it's both because of exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> Is Christianity hard or easy? Wouldn't you recognize God is is willing and has already opened life to you, and that makes sense in your soul, not just your mind, but in your spirit that you go, wow, I want I want that life. Well, then it's easy because you you all of a sudden you go, well, I, I, yeah, I, I see what you're doing and where you're going, and I want that life. But when he says to you, hey, this issue right here is greed, the fact that you have uh, one good guitar and you want not just another one, but, you know, a couple more or something like this. Well, that's greed. Oh, well, I'm not quite sure about that, Lord. Well, then in that, in that situation, Christianity is hard because you, you are not quite um, uh, listening <laughs> to the voice. Uh, and that's just one instance of, of where we're at in this next chapter. Yeah. You ready to get into the next chapter? Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Is Christianity hard or easy? Jackson, sounds like we've already heard your answer. What's your answer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> the answer to the question, is Christianity hard or is it easy? Jackson says is yes. Yes. And here, uh, here I am, um, uh, 26, uh, 26, um, 16 is when I became a Christian. So 10 years, 26, 20 years, 36. So here I am. Yeah. 26 years into this whole project. And let me tell you, ask me again, Denton, is Christianity is, is it hard or easy, Jackson? Yes. Yes. Still <laughs> is at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I would I would say that as well. But I would probably maybe, I think it could be divided up to say, what do you mean, what aspect of Christianity? Yeah. Because if you're talking about is our justification before God, to, to be justified before God as a human being, is that easy or is it hard? To that, I would say, in a very real sense, it's easy. Because we are justified before God based on the finished work of Christ and trusting in him alone. That is the means by which we are justified before God. So mm-hmm. in that sense, yes. But if the question is, is living the Christian life, is being a Christian hard or easy? I would say it's hard uh, because in a very real sense it is. Right. God has called us to something that is good, something that is ultimately uh, life-giving and, and will lead to life. That's what it means to be a Christian uh, and to to have Christ be united to him. But it doesn't mean that life is just a cakewalk now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. In fact, I think in, in a very real sense, being a Christian means your life here on earth is probably going to be harder than, uh, than it would have been otherwise. Right. And that's a difficult pill to swallow for a lot of people. Um, but he makes the point, you know, that, that we see two things that Christ himself says. Right. Uh, he says... Take up your cross. And by this, what does he mean? He means take up the burden of what it means to follow me. Yep. Understand that to follow me yep. is to take on uh, this weight, this seriousness. Uh, it means to dedicate your life to living uh, ho- a holy life, to pursue sanctification, to pursue obedience. All of that is true, yep. and all of that is hard. Yep. And that's what he calls us to. Well, what does he also say? He also says, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Well, doesn't that contradict it? Some would say. And the answer is no. Because in a very real and true sense, the yoke that God has put upon us, and that is that, that we see in Christ, is easy. In the sense of what are you? what is, is necessary in order for you to make it to heaven. Mm-hmm. Many people put the yoke of obedience to the law on themselves in order to earn salvation. That is a very hard yoke. That is a very heavy yoke. It's a yoke that will ultimately crush you. You will get nowhere with that yoke. Um, But the yoke of Christ, his yoke, is easy and his burden is light in the sense that when we come to him and trust in him by faith, salvation is ours. Heaven is ours. The kingdom of God belongs to us. uh, And we will inherit it. Not because of our good laboring, not because of our efforts, not because of our our obedience, but because of Christ's, his obedience, his righteousness granted to us. 
And so there's a dual thing going on here. Like, right. And depending and, on what you're talking about, the answer could be yes or it could be no. Right. And, and so to anyone who has thought about the claims of Christianity and gone, my goodness, there's a lot here and I don't even know how to fit all this together. Well, that's fine. It's not easy to fit together. It's not as if, you know, you're a slacker just because it, look, it takes a lot of work to even, uh, honestly reflect on what Jesus is after. Um, you know, take up your cross means dying to yourself. If that sounds easy to you, um, let me warn you, it's not. Uh, and, and that's just one side of this because yes, the other side, uh, you know, I've thought about uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light in comparison. Uh, you mentioned legalism and that's a very useful uh, thing to compare to. I, I think the easy thing for a lot of us, especially those of us who didn't grow up in church is to think about, um, uh, mammon or the world and what is the yoke of say quote the world which is one of the ways that I always uh, process this given that you, that's that you have to be careful with that word the world I think we right. talked about this in a previous episode so I always think about fortune fame power pleasure this is in a study I did on on this issue like the semantic domain of that do not love the world as the Bible says what's he talking about don't love when he says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world well that world means the people uh, this world means do not love these desires for fortune, fame, power, and pleasure, this endless just control, grasping, striving, because the yoke of those is satisfaction, never, mm-hmm. endless taking, which means endless destruction of relationships. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about unhappy, uh, it, it leads to anger, frustration, because resentment, I never have enough. I mean, think about, think about fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. What, what would be asked of you uh, by those gods? Oh, uh, just never-ending striving on empty for, for a never-ending lust for A, more stuff, B, more people to like you, more people to want you, uh, C, the power issue, more control, more money, more, uh, more pushing, more, uh, I mean, uh, you can sense what this is. We all know what this is. And then the, the fourth one, uh, pleasure, never ending pleasure. How much pleasure would ever be enough? If you devote your life to pleasure, if that is the end goal for you, this is what's so strange about the whole thing. No pleasure will ever satisfy you. It will, it will just be you always going, well, if only I could manipulate it for more. Right. This, this pleasure today well, then tomorrow, if I, if I got pleasure level 17 today, tomorrow needs to be 18. Right. The next day, 19, 20. It, it, it's awful for you. That yoke will crush you. Right. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And he makes the point in the book, you know, what a lot of people, where the misconception sometimes lies, that people come to Christ or come to Christianity, whatever you want to call it, um, out of a desire to have some sort of problem resolved, whether it be alcoholism or whether it be um, even, you know, uh, anger or whether it be pornography or whatever the case might be, uh, they come to Christianity wanting that problem resolved. But to come to Christ, to become a Christian, to come into the Christian faith, means more than just having that one issue resolved. Certainly, Christ will see to it that that issue is resolved, whatever the sinful thing is, whether it be bitterness, whether it be pornography, whether it be uh, anger, doesn't matter. The Lord will eventually see that it is resolved, but he's not going to stop there. And that's what a lot of people don't realize and don't like, and why it is, in a sense, hard. Right. Because what the Lord says is, I I don't just want part of you. I want all of you. Yeah, he's not interested in a self-help program. Right, right. And C.S. Lewis, man, he lays analogy after analogy on here, um, and, and he has a few great quotes in this part. He says, he says, I've not come to torment your natural self. Again, he's talking about the natural versus the spiritual. But he says, I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. <laughs> he, says, he says, no half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown or crown it, excuse me, or stop it. But I want to leave it out, to have it out. He says, hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think mm-hmm. innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self. In fact, mm-hmm. I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful, especially at the end when you get to that and realize that he's going to replace it all. That's a beautiful reality. 
but it is difficult. Mm-hmm. It is hard. He uses a, a a really funny example of like, oh wait, it's in the next chapter. I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. He did not use a funny he example. He did not use a really great example <laughs> in this one. Uh, no, he he did. He used a whole bunch. But um, this is this is the point though that this process um, is a hard one. Uh, it's in a real sense easy and hard. Yeah. Uh, Christianity is. Um, and we have to reckon with that. Mm-hmm. We can't act like it's not. Right. Yeah. And this is, I, I will, uh, I will call the church out and the church meaning uh, various individuals who I love, but we sometimes try to act like this is a little simpler and a little less difficult than it is. Parts of Christianity are very difficult. Yeah. Handing uh, over yourself to the Lord is hard. Right. Your whole self. Right. And, and I mean, this chapter references that, and that's half of this chapter, I mean, functionally, but then the next chapter is called Counting the, ho- counting the Cost, and that, that's hard. Yep. And we don't help anyone by saying, pray this prayer, and then you'll just be happy and walk with the Lord. And um, thankfully, mm-hmm. we're not as into, uh, there's a lot, of, uh, lot more uh, criticism of easy believism today, but we are all prone to uh, what I would call like sales pitches around Christianity, and the, Christianity... Just don't do a sales pitch. Uh, <laughs> this is life we're talking about here. If uh, You don't have to sell life to people. I mean, right. you can talk to them about what's going on. Uh, and right. So I, I will give a quote, though, uh, that, that he, he mentions. Uh, he says, The state government exists to promote the ordinary happiness of people, to make sure a couple can sit and talk at a fireplace, friends can have dinner at a coffee house, you can dig in your garden. If that's not happening... The state, including every governor, army colonel, all laws, courts, police, economics, and et cetera, are pointless. And he's referencing that because you have to let things be in their places. And when those things are in their places, then you can recognize uh, what Jesus's place is. When we are, say, putting hope in the state to fix our problems for us, it's bad at it. Mm -hmm. Even if you can convince me that it it ought to be doing it, it won't do it very well. And you so, so you have that, and, and he says that in some way to get to the next point, which is in the same way, the church exists to draw people to Christ, and if that's not happen, happening, uh, this, this is sort of my, he mentions all the different things sort of that are more Anglican, but I, I in uh, referencing this, think about what we do as, uh, as Baptists, you know, every preacher, every Sunday school class, every program, every conference, even the Bible is pointless. He said, we are to, we are to put Christ up and say, there is life, and, and you could know him. His work could be happening in your life right now. That is, our, that is the point mm-hmm. of everything that we do in the church. And if, if we can't quite connect the dots to, between what we are doing as a church, how we're spending our time and our money uh, and our efforts to displaying Christ, to encouraging people towards the person of Jesus Christ, then we ought to ask questions about what we're doing. That's mm-hmm. the whole point of every program, every ministry, whatever you call it that your church does, uh, it's to point people to Christ. Yeah. Um, going back to, to another sort of quote that he makes, uh, this is in reference to what it is that we need uh, and, and what the Lord does in us. He says, um, if I'm a field that contains nothing but grass seed, yeah. I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. And that's what God does in us. He plows us up and re-sows in us the new man, something different, something new, something better. Um, uh, yeah, all of this just reiterating the fact that it is hard. Christianity is difficult. Um, it is, in many cases, even dangerous and painful. Uh, but it ultimately leads to that which we we're called to that mm-hmm. which we were created for, uh, which is kind of the 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 man getting back to the beauty of, of what the gospel does that it the being changed into the likeness of Christ, being saved by the gospel, and having the Holy Spirit invade us, and and as he says, being turned from a tin man into a real man. Yeah, um, it is the process of being turned into that which God created us to be. Yeah, and that's not always an easy process, especially as our sinful man is constantly fighting against that but it's a good process christianity is easy and hard at the same time i mean that's the whole point of the chapter and and the the last line in the chapter uh, or excuse me the last paragraph in the chapter just beautiful beautiful chapter or a section that needs to be read he says what we have been told is how we men can be drawn into christ 
can become a part of that wonderful present which the young prince of the universe wants to offer his father. That present, which is himself and therefore us in him. It is the only thing we were made for. And there are strange, exciting hints in the Bible that when we're drawn in, a great many other things in nature will begin to come right. The bad dream will be over. It will be morning. Mm. I don't have anything more to say about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and this has happened again. The, this issue transitions us right into chapter 9, which is counting the cost. Because look, if you're a field, um, and God's the farmer in this analogy, it's not going to be pleasant mm-hmm. uh, for you field. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I were a field, what it would feel like to be, uh, plowed. Uh, but pleasant is not what, how I would describe it. Um, and so the counting the cost is, uh, is the point of this chapter. And I, I think one of the most operative, uh, lines in this chapter is that God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it references this issue that we, we've arrived at already, which is, uh, we go in to the dentist saying, yeah, I have just a little bit of pain over here on the hey, left hey, side. That's the analogy I was going to uh, reference. Uh, too bad. You're stealing uh, it? And, um, and just like our dentist says to us, well, have you been flossing? And we don't want to answer that question. And then, <laughs> and then he also says, hey, by the way, there is a cavity over here. Uh, you have a lot of plaque build up here. When's the last time you were in here for a cleaning? I've got a whole... Uh, I got a plan for you, young man. <laughs> yeah. And we're when I just want my one tooth to feel better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He talks about like when he was a boy and he would go to his mother and uh, if he got a toothache because you know kids are prone to toothaches sometimes, especially if they don't brush. And and he said when I would he would get a toothache, uh, he knew he needed to go to his mother. Yeah, but he hated going to his mother. Why? Because although initially what he really wanted and what he really needed, uh, well, what he really wanted really was to get instant relief from this toothache. Uh-huh. He wanted what his mother was going to give him, which was some sort of medicine that was going to dull the pain, take the pain away, so that he could sleep, so that he could be without pain. That's really what he wanted. Yeah. But what is his mother always going to do? She, while she's going to give him that medicine now to relieve the pain, yep. he's going to be going to the dentist tomorrow. Yep. And that dentist is going to be looking around in there and is going to be uh, not only taking care of that issue, but looking at all the other teeth, seeing if they have any issues that need to be dealt with. And he says, uh, why can't you just let sleeping dogs lie? <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Dentist, hey, those teeth aren't hurting me. Just take care of what's hurting me. Right? Uh, that's not the way it works. You go to the, right. go to the dentist, you have a toothache, something like that. He's going to look at all of it. You know, right. He's going to say, hey, what else is in here that needs to be dealt with? While you're here, we're going to deal with it. Yeah. I'm not just going to let it go. Um, and that uh, that is a frustrating thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're like me and not a fan of the dentist, that in a very real way, that uh, that is not a that is a relatable thing. But um, but for Christianity too, what he's encouraging us towards is what the Bible says, and that is that we're we're to count the cost of discipleship, what it means to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Yes, we might come because we want, as I've already said, instant relief from, right. or maybe not instant, but relief from whatever a particular mm-hmm. issue is. Mm-hmm. But once the Lord comes, just know that He's not going to stop there. He's going to begin to rework you, reshape you, make you into something new. And yes, something that he has created you to be, but it's going to be a difficult, painful process. There's yep. going to be a cost associated with it. Yep. We we can even think just in terms of, of practically in our lives, whenever we are have a certain area of our life exposed or feel conviction about a thing, and it sometimes could be easy for us to justify it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet... We know that the Lord is working to take every part of our lives and rearrange it. It's really hard, you know, when you have habits or things in your life or aspects of your life that you really want left the way they are mm-hmm. because you're really content with them, really content with the way they are, or happy, whatever. But the Lord says, I'm sorry, that's not what's best for you. Yeah. You might like it and prefer it, but that's not what's best for you, and I'm going to do what's best for you, even yeah. though it hurts and even though there's a cost associated with it. God has a much longer term plan for you than you do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I mean, think about, uh, Jesus makes an analogy immediately about this issue. You know, if any man, uh, decides to build a tower and doesn't count the cost associated with mm-hmm. building that, acquiring the materials, the time that is going to be invested. Well, you call him a fool. Yeah. You'd say that tower partially built and then didn't ran out of money. It's like, oh, wow. 
Look at that. There's that constant reminder of that guy's foolishness. And 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 he says that uh, what I think can be genuinely surprising to us that especially if you're a person who might have uh, low regard for yourself, God has bigger plans for you than you or anybody else ever had. Amen. Uh, and He intends to uh, keep you for all eternity. Yeah. And that means uh, not only does He have a plan for you, He has a plan for you that's going to work out for your good. But in the meantime, it will cost you something. It will hurt. Uh, And there will be turns. uh, There will be unexpected things happen. And uh, there's a reason why the book of James tells us, hey, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. None of us just goes, hey, look, a trial, flat tire. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Had nothing going on today. (laughs) I'm about to consider this pure joy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't happen. I mean, not, not, not any of us. Not uh, generally, I have known very, very joy-filled Christians, you know, yeah. but not. Uh, just say it's not the average one. Mm-hmm. Um, but these, the, I mean, this is what is he is pointing to in this maturity. Really, does involve looking at our challenges differently. Um, but maturity also involves being open that God has bigger plans for us than we do, and that that's going to mean. Um, oh, well, I guess one here's we we you, we often come to little phrases that we've picked up over the years because they're useful in these regards. Write your plans in pencil and give God the eraser. Uh, <laughs> that's good. I've never heard that. Before. Uh, that's a very good one. Um, yeah. And realize where you are in the scheme of things is what that's pointing to. Is you're not master planner who just. All right, now, you know, check off all the boxes. Let's see. I've got, did the get married box. Keep my spouse happy. About to check that box off. <laughs> did it. Done. Yeah. Uh, okay. Discipline these children. Let's see. It's Wednesday. Okay. Got that one done as well. Like, right. These are things that are going to take a while. And God yeah. looks at you and says, yes, and you are also going to take a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's the, you know, the quote you already mentioned. It comes in here. He quotes uh, a guy named George McDonald who... Yeah. I guess as a contemporary of C.S. Lewis's, uh, he uh, so C.S. Lewis was very influenced by George MacDonald. George okay. MacDonald died in something like 1905, and so okay. C.S. Lewis was like After him, 10 no. years old than when George MacDonald died. But he read all the writings of George MacDonald. Okay. Quotes him twice in this chapter, actually. Yeah. Uh, and this is a really good one. He says, um, "Every father is pleased at the baby's first attempt to walk. No father would be satisfied with anything less than a firm, free, manly walk in a grown-up son." In the same way, he said, that being James McDonald, God is uh, easy. George to, McDonald. Or, uh, excuse me, George McDonald. <laughs> George McDonald. Uh, God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. Uh, he, he's speaking here to we as Christians. Yeah. I, th- I think we can all relate to this, especially early on in our walk. Uh, but even all throughout our walk, I'll be honest with you. We think, oh man, I've failed. I've messed up. Like, I, I tried and then stumbled, right? Yep. Um, and he relates it to how God is like a father to, he is a father to us. He is our, our spiritual father, um, our heavenly father. And just thinking in earthly terms, as a father, I've got uh, a little girl right now who is just crawling around, just getting started crawling. Um, one of these days, she's going to start pulling up and going to start walking. That's my desire for her. That's my hope. When she first takes like a step or two and then falls down and then takes a step and then falls down, I'm not going to go, terrible. That's not how you walk, Gemma. Right. You need to get up and do it right, you know? No, that's not the way I treat her. I I celebrate the steps. Hey, your first steps, you're walking. That's great. That's great. Yes, you fell, but look, you are doing it. You are trying and. This is always the way walking starts. It mm-hmm. starts with a step or two and then falling. The expectation that God has for us is not that we, nor is this the way he intended it or planned it, that we in an instant miraculously changed and the Christian walk is for us like a run, just perfect, not tripping, not struggling. No, he knows, he expects that we, as we seek to walk in his way, as we seek to be obedient to him, that we're going to fail uh, the DC talk song, what if I stumble? Yeah. What if I fall? What if I trip and I make fools of us all? Uh, it goes on and says, will your love continue when my walk becomes a crawl? Yeah, sure. And it's asking a question that Christians, that we have, because we know our weakness, we know our failures, we know our shortcomings. God's expectation of us is not uh, that we immediately just take off running, right? right? 
But also, he is not satisfied until we get to that place. Yep. Until we get to the place of being able to walk and run as a man should, mm-hmm. to, to continue this analogy. Uh, because he says, and he is going to make us perfect, yeah. as he is perfect. Yeah. But he, it happens in a process. Perfect meaning complete. And he, he specifically yep. references, he says, perfect and complete in love and beauty and joy and even power. And this, this I think I, I, I'm glad that we landed on that because um, when I reference the world, what you do is you give even your desires for money and for people to know who you are and your reputation and, and your desires for power and for pleasure. It's not that you just need to say, oh, I, will, I, will, I just don't want any of those. No, give those desires to God and he'll give you what he wants you to have of those. And in fact, he will guide you in how to use the abilities and the power that he, that he has given you. That will be to your good. Mm-hmm. He is not intending to take anything from you. Yeah. It's just that on your own, you you tend to ruin <laughs> yeah. even the good things that he gives you. All all of this has to live under uh, his his mastery, under his guidance, uh, under his lordship, is why the Bible talks about it. And and in that, then the gifts that he gives us, we know what to do with them. Yeah. But when we just push them away and pull to ourselves, so just like your your little child who might grab a pocket knife and say, "No, no, no, I I know better." Yeah, uh, you know they don't. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, this is how children are. It is. It is. Well, man, I think we've made it through three chapters. I think that's uh, uh, those were three chapters that went really well together that flowed yeah. from one into yeah. the next. Uh, and so uh, certainly I'm excited to get into what we have next week uh, or next time we meet together, whenever that might be, and finish up C.S. Lewis. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for recognizing that Christianity is both easy and hard, mm-hmm. uh, that there's a cost associated with it. Um, but I'm thankful also for the truth that was persistent throughout that, that God is doing a work in us. Mm-hmm. And so do not think for a moment, Christian, that, uh, that your salvation is dependent upon you performing, right. your performance, your obedience. Um, it's not. But as Christians, God has called us to walk, to walk in obedience, to run to him, uh, to, to be formed into the likeness of Christ. So, yeah. You have anything more to say, Jackson? That's it. This has been Empires of the Future. And we'll see you in the future.